This is The Other 14 Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of The Other 14 Podcast, the only podcast that forgets all about the so-called Big Six and focuses just on the other 14 teams of the Premier League. After game week 7's postponement, it was a quiet game week 8 with only 7 Premier League games going ahead. As national morale was in a slump, the games that took place did try to provide a bit of lift with a five-goal thriller on Friday and the blue half of Merseyside getting their first league win of the season. This week, as always, I'm joined by Tom. Hello. Hello, Tom. So, Tom, it wasn't the most electric week of Premier League football for the other 14, but was it welcomed after a week off? Hello, Reese. Hello, all. Yes, it's certainly welcome to have the Prem back, even if it wasn't quite a full round of fixtures and like the Prem, we are back as well. Like you said, the nation has been in a solemn mood since the uh, the news broke of the passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth over a week ago, but the Prem returned with Friday night football the following week. After all footballing fixtures the previous weekend were postponed, a decision that was questioned by many. The football played its part this week in tribute to the Queen with some impeccably observed minute silences. Just didn't quite play its part on the pitch as it was largely a week to forget for the other 14. Some games to forget, to say the least. Not you, though, Forrest Fulham. That was the thriller that I think got most people back in the mood for football. And then in comes the international break. Yes, I think that could be a bit of a mood killer. It seems it seems the perfect time and the worst time to have an international break right now. Yeah. I know that every season it fits in at this point, but we do have a World Cup just around the corner. So it seems to me that the teams do need to meet up. The squads do need to meet up. They can't just join up together for like like seven days before the World Cup and go, so no. chap, so we're going to go and win the Jules Rimet. They kind of need this bit beforehand, but it just feels a bit of a, well, we're eight game, well, we've only had seven game weeks of football, really. And after the postponement last week, and then we're straight into a week without anything, and it yeah mm. yeah it, that this this yeah there always the first international break of the season always feels well probably the one of the worst I think because you're back in that sort of looking forward to football football's back on a weekend sort of thing, and then all of a sudden that mood is suddenly killed by some sort of nonsense guys. What have we got like the Nations League or whatever UEFA have come up with? Um, <sighs> See, I like the Nations League and I do think it's a good combination of games like England have to go and play Germany and Italy, two good teams that in the build-up to the World Cup could be quite good. But based on the last international break where England were incredibly poor, I'm not really looking forward to the games. Like, I'm just not that bothered by them. I know that they'll be on. I probably won't go out my way to watch them. It just depends what I've got going on, to be honest. Depends if it's on ITV. Um, actually, no, it's Nations League, so it's shared between Sky and then I believe Channel Four are showing it on Terrestrial. Ooh. So we—I don't know—I do not know what sort of pundits we'll get on Channel Four. It will be quite interesting. Do you think this has come at the right times for some team like Brighton, for example? I know we'll move on to the new manager coming in, but actually having two weeks of training without a game. Well, they've actually had three weeks now because they, well, actually, wow. How long have Brighton gone without a game? Because they didn't have a game last week. As in game week eight, they didn't have game week seven and now they've got an international break. Yeah, so they'll probably be going like like four weeks weeks without a game, yeah. It's actually probably not a bad, that's probably worked out quite nicely for them. Um, But other teams that are a bit off form are probably looking at this as a chance to reevaluate and rebuild. And then there are teams like Fulham, once again, we'll get onto them that are absolutely flying. And this is going to be such a momentum killer for them. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, just sort of picking teams out, you've mentioned Brighton. I think two other teams that has probably come right at the perfect time for this international break is Wolves and Leicester, two teams that aren't particularly playing well right now. I think also Newcastle, it's come at a good time for them because even though they've been better than previous season, they're not getting the results. So I think maybe it's time for Betty Howe just to take a little bit of a step back and just sort of rejig everything and get 
get the players back in a sense of what he wants to try and achieve and try and get some results. So that that's probably come a good time for Newcastle, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, Newcastle, although they made good signings and they had a good start to the season, they just had a lot of draws. And... Yeah, draw specialists. Which, in all fairness, they've they're kind of almost getting there. It's almost working for yeah. them. Um, yeah. And we'll see how that goes on. But I think there's actually probably more teams that it will help than it won't at this point, even Absolutely. though from a fan's perspective, you go from getting really excited for a league game and then you've got to go and watch. I don't like being negative about England, but it just feels like a really poor time to have an international break in this point of the season. Um, but it always feels weird. Thank God yeah. it's... Thank God it's not a silly game against like San Marino or Andorra where... Hey, don't disrespect San Marino, mate. Uh, I I respect that they're allowed to play football. I just think that the games against them are ridiculous because no one's a winner in a 7-0, 8-0, 9-0 game. Because even though the team that wins, it doesn't feel like a real win, does it? Uh, it, it it's like beating your six-year-old nephew at FIFA come on, they were never going to really stand a chance and all you're going to do is upset them if you score too many, but it's not enjoyable in the slightest. No, but unless you're shit at FIFA like myself, then that defeat against a six-year-old nephew is actually not too bad. Yeah, you'll probably doing, you'll probably be doing cartwheels and knee slides around the living room. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> oh, anyway, so um, first things first, we'll go over to Tom for the classified results for game week eight. And here are the classified results for match week eight for the Premier League 22-23 season. Aston Villa 1, Southampton 0. Wolverhampton Wanderers 0, 3. Newcastle 1, Bournemouth 1. Brentford 0, 3. Leeds United, postponed. Nottingham Forest 2, Fulham 3. Brighton, Hove Albion and Crystal Palace postponed. Six, Leicester City, two. Everton, one. West Ham, nil. And thank you very much for those classified results. As we said earlier in the intro, not the most thrilling week for the other 14, but there are definitely some fixtures that we will be certainly talking about. This season, so far, we have not been able to speak highly enough about Graham Potter and the fantastic work he has been doing down on the south coast with Brighton. However, unfortunately now, we will never speak highly of him again. After the least surprising surprise of the season, Chelsea decided to make a managerial change and said Tara to Tuchel and greetings to Graham. Brighton, like a single woman on Take Me Out, found a new man very quickly by leaving their light on for Roberto De Zabi. Tom. Do you like he? I yeah, not sure. Um, look, I'll be perfectly honest. I I'm not entirely clued up on the um, the history of Roberto De Zerbi. Um, obviously, from what we do know so far about him, very much in, entwined into Italian football, being the Italian national that he is, uh, but has come from Shakhtar Donetsk left there I believe it was June or July time um obviously to do with the um Russian invasion of Ukraine unfortunately had to leave his job there and was quite well it sounds a bit quite touted up by Brighton Brighton pretty much said in their statement upon the um breaking news of his appointment that he was basically the only one for them so from a Brighton's perspective they like he Exactly, and they will be taking him to the island of Fernando. Um, I've done some very basic looking into him because, as always, with the new manager coming into the league, the name means nothing to me. But then also that's Brighton's philosophy. How many of their transfers have you gone, oh, I know a lot about him? You almost never do. So I think this is almost a very Brighton appointment, which is really good. Um, not that I really ever thought they would go for one of the big names like, well, they never needed to, but go like Allardyce or Dyche or something like no. that. But even someone like Pochettino is currently available after leaving PSG in the summer. Um, but they've gone for their usual system of picking someone largely unknown and rocking it. So um, in terms of 
about him. Yeah, he left Shakhtar um, after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. One thing I did find really interesting about that, though, was that he only left he only left Ukraine when he made sure that all the Shakhtar international players had already left. So he made sure that his players were safe beforehand, which I think is really nice. Um, Yeah. In terms of before that, um, he managed at Sassuolo, where I believe, from what I've read, they were very much punching above their weight when he was in charge of them. And another thing that I found quite interesting about him was he was lying or he was asked to oh, he was asked to take on another job in Italy um because a manager was being kind of removed. However, the other manager he declined to do so because the other manager was being treated for leukemia and he refused to take oh. the job from him, which is okay. another thing. You go, this guy seems like quite a nice, decent bloke. So it seems like you see, yeah, pretty genuine for the sound. Yeah. Of it. So um and the other thing I know that about him or read up about him was that he's known for fairly uh, he's known for possession football. So I think that's kind of Brighton are looking to continue that kind of Potter model of ball retention um and actually being creative with the ball rather than being a pure like counter team or long ball team or anything like that. So yeah. very much the in fashion type manager. And then obviously you get all the quotes coming out the woodwork of, oh, Pep is a big fan of his. Um, I'm sure he is until Brighton beat them 4-0 or something like that. Yes. So we'll see how that goes. But I think it's good work from them. Obviously, Chelsea came in very early um, after sacking Tuchel to get Potter. Brighton have immediately gone on get their new man. And as we said, it's a really good time for them because they've now had a couple of postponements and now they've got the international break for him to be able to kind of start moulding the Brighton squad and getting them playing how he would like them to play. Yeah, it, do, it does seem that uh, De Zerbi is very much in that Graham Potter mould by the fact that his career progression so far has been very much through the leagues as a manager and as a player as well. He was quite a journeyman as a player. I don't think he really settles at a club. Um, yeah. But he's making his name as a coach as opposed to his, his playing career wasn't anything to really sort of shout home about. Um, but as a as a coach, he's definitely coming up through the, through the ranks. Has spent a little bit of time overseas, obviously with his uh, spell in Shakhtar. Very similar to what Potter did. You know, first one of his first overseas jobs, I think, was in Ostersunds, the Danish league, and got them into Europe. And I think was it, was it Arsenal they played? I think in one in one year in the Europa League, and that yeah. was when the name Graham Potter really sort of became uh, sort of put up into the lights. And we first sort of really knew about Graham Potter from a sort of, I'll put it in an armchair Premier League sort of fan sort of knowledge base. Um, and yeah, now he's got this sort of first opportunity to manage in England. And I don't want this to come across in any sort of disrespectful way uh, for Brighton. Brighton itself as a team is, it's not a huge job for a new manager coming into the Premier League. But that first experience of managing in the Premier League, that is a huge, huge challenge, especially when you don't have any experience of either as a playing career in England or as a manager. So this is going to be a huge test for him. But from what I've seen uh, so far, Brighton hierarchy, I think, and we pretty much guessed this as, well, we mentioned it in our pre, pre-show pre pods about the the possibility of Graham Potter leaving during the season. I don't think we were expecting it sort of seven, seven weeks or eight weeks into the season, but at some point I think we were expecting Graham Potter to maybe get that, that move to a, one of the, maybe the big six or, or, or another, another club in a sort of a higher position than Brighton. Um, But they've, they've had De Zerbi on the radar, I think by the sounds of it for, for quite some time. And they've mentioned this in the statement that he was, really realistically the only target so by the sounds of it they've they've done a whole load of profiling maybe earlier on in the season to make sure that they have plans in place for Potter um departing and it's obviously happened now so they've, they've put the, the plan into action yeah and I really want them I really want Deserby to come in and be successful I feel that Brighton's start to the season has really built some really strong foundations to be able to progress well in the league this season. And it would seem really rotten for that to be completely thrown off course yeah. with one of the big six going, oh, we're bored of you now, Tuchel. 
let's just go toy. find someone else. So, and for that reason, I, as much as I don't want Chelsea to be successful, I almost want Potter to because he is a really endearing character. Um, I found interesting in one of his first interviews going, there's no, obviously, we go and talk about international managers like having that kind of sex appeal, and he's turned around and gone, mm. there's nothing sexy about a bloke being called Graham. i love that which i absolutely love him he's a really good character so i wish him all the success even though i wish chelsea absolutely none of it and 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 the new guy coming in i really hope he was able to keep brighton going strong because they deserve it and their season shouldn't be railroaded because that moron of an american todd bowley decides to he wants to mix things up um but we'll see how it goes for brighton yeah absolutely um just to Another also point, just sort of speaking about how um, his sort of sides play. You've mentioned obviously possession based football, but obviously clearly in a, in a bright and mild sort of attacking based, possession based, and quite progressive. And he's also a coach who looks into a player and doesn't sort of choose big names to come in, but then chooses a player in terms of transfers bringing them in and then looking to improve them. So actually coaching players to become better players and then believing in themselves a bit more. So he's given these players coming in or the players that he's managed previously, the freedom and the ability to express themselves on the pitch, which I think is the, the right way. Wow. I mean, it's there's, there's it's also the Brighton model, it, isn't it? Exactly. So, yeah. So um, I, I think it's, it, by the sounds of it, it's a perfect fit. Oh, well, let's hope so. And then, unlike recent ongoings in the west of our capital, Fulham have had every reason to be happy. Marco Silva's men have hit a real vein of good performances and have struck gold with their first few results. It's really hard to pick holes in their start to the season, and this week they were able to axe through Forest, even without a goal from the diamond feet of Mitrovic. Tom, is this just strong early season form? Or do you expect to see them this high up in the league come the end of the season? I mean, wh- where are they now? They're, they are sixth in the table? Is, they is are currently that... Europa League positioned. <sighs> Europa League, that's going back to the Hodgson days. Um, I I would like to see us be, because, you know, pre-season pods, I think, that we might be slightly wrong about our expectations of how Fulham were going to go throughout. Oh, the I season thought Fulham were going to get relegated. We, we we both said that Fulham were, were going down. Mm-hmm. On this current form and how the team are playing, I think we need to give both ourselves a little slap on the wrist there, because because I I can't at the moment in time I cannot see Fulham going down. They're just playing too well as a side. Marco Silva's got that team purring, and like you mentioned. Mitrovic is such a key player for them, but they proved in the game against Forest that they don't necessarily need him. Um, he did obviously he does his usual stuff, sneaking up the play, and he's sort of a very true number nine in that role that he plays. But the attacking quality that Fulham showed, and with the signing of William as well, he got an assist um, on Friday. There's a lot to like about this Fulham side, and it does seem as though on early sort of showings that this might be the Fulham side of 22-23 that breaks, finally breaks that Fulham down, Norwich up, Norwich down, Fulham up sort of repetition. Sorry. um, I think obviously Norwich fans are going to be upset seeing this fine form from Fulham, but I don't know. Obviously they have got results. And they've been playing well. Mitrovic got them through a couple of games and he's been on fire since the start of the season. I'm less convinced by the signing of William. Obviously, he did get the assist. But then looking at this game, I know they came back strongly against Forest, but it's still not a very good Forest team. Um, And I don't know whether you've got the results to prove me wrong, Tom, in front of you, but... I'm not sure they've really got. I'm not sure they've had really any surprising results, if that makes sense. I don't um, think. Surprising result. I mean, well, the opening day two all draw against Liverpool. You have um, okay. They I'll were, give you they, that. Were, they were they were leading at one point against Arsenal away from home. They beat Brighton at home. They, um, 
unfortunately lost 2-1 to Spurs, but that is a strong Spurs side. They're not bad results. I I know. I suppose part of my negativity comes from the fact that I don't want to be wrong about saying they're going to be relegated. But also, I know. know. Um, But look, they've had a very good start. Can it survive all 38 games? I suppose Fulham fans really want that to happen. And of course, it's good to see a strong Fulham because they're kind of everyone, not necessarily everyone's second team, but no one really hates Fulham. There's no reason so to... Hips decide. You like yeah, to love them. Ish. Yeah, I don't know. I think obviously they've done, when they've come up before, they've had poor seasons where they've signed the wrong sort of signings. That seems to have turned around a bit. They have made some very good signings. Yeah. I think the likes of Paulinia from, um, I think from Sporting, was a very yeah. good signing. And we'll see where it goes. Whether they'll... I, Come the end of the season, I don't see them. I still don't see them in the top 10 because I think there are enough other teams that are playing poorly and I think Fulham will come a little bit unstuck. But for now, I think it's great for them to be promoted and flying so high at the moment. And no offence and credit to Marco Silva. He's doing a very good job with a squad that I still think has a number of players who'd still probably regard as championship but they've had, sprinkled in a good amount of quality into that that's kind of just raised the level yeah yeah i think i think that's the key thing it's just add, adding that those extra sort of key players i think having leno in, in between the sticks is a fantastic addition and i think we've mentioned that previously in the pod marco silva has the ability to put together a very good side and get these get teams to play well he showed it with fulham last year um, the fact that they just there's not too many teams that storm the championship, but you look at Fulham last year and you, you would de- basically describe it as storming it. The players that they have, like you said, yeah, but they are they are a little bit championship quality, the majority of them. But I think Marco Silva is a decent enough coach. Like we've mentioned with Graham Potter previously, um, and other managers of that ilk. Marco Silva is a decent enough coach. That I think he's at the right club now because he's had spells. What was his his first spell was with um was it with was he Hull's boss? Oh, was Hull. it Hull? Yeah, it was Hull, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um Hull boss and I didn't think because the situation at Hull wasn't particularly fantastic there. Then he got, I think, mate, was it Everton he then went on to? Yeah. Um Everton just in the last sort of five or so years just sort of going back and forth between managers and sort of transfer policies so I don't think that was quite a decent oh, enough fit. Sorry, um, in between so he went, he was at Hull for, in 2017 Right. he then went to Watford for a season and we know yeah, we know Watford's Well, Watford's manager policy, we just, you know, every other week they have a manager, well, so yeah. Yeah, Watford go through managers like um, Leonardo DiCaprio goes through 25 year olds Um. And then Everton in a during a vast period of instability. So yeah, I I think he's he's found a club at Fulham that I think if he's intending to stay in English football for the foreseeable, um, then Fulham is I think it's just a good match. I think, I, but by from what I've seen so far from this Fulham side, the way they've played so far this year, uh, and from bits of pieces that I saw last year in the championship. It's just a good fit. So I like, and to be perfectly honest, a Fulham Marco Silva matchup in the Premier League is a much better than, let's say, for example, I don't know, uh, Felix Magat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. A hundred percent. They do yeah. seem to be doing the right thing under him. And let's see how far it takes them. And in other fixtures this week, the Wolfpack had no bite. The Irons did not strike it hot, and the Foxes were far from fantastic. In the preseason pod, we tipped these three teams to be strong and contending with the higher-ups of the other 14, but they are currently far from that. With relegation form flowing strongly from these three teams, which of them has the most to worry about, Tom? Leicester. Quick and decisive. No Okay, yep, so no you say Leicester. you say Leicester. So why, what reason do Wolves and West Ham have less reason to be worried? So I, I think from a West Ham perspective, their squad is much better than Leicester's, and they're actually got a progression in terms of how they want to develop that squad. And we've mentioned it 
um, previously in terms of their transfer signings and the fact that it might just take a little bit of time for everything to sort of gel. I do expect West Ham to be um, on the up sooner rather than later. It would be a surprise if they stay down this low. Wolves, I think Bruno Larg is having a season where he is having more of a control and more of a say about what goes on in terms of transfers, in terms of what squad he wants to put um, build up and in terms of what teams he wants to put out and starts each week. The results so far for Wolves have not been fantastic. They've only won once. But if you look at sort of the results, so Leeds 2-1 defeat on the opening day, Wolves 0, Fulham 0, Spurs 1-0 defeat, uh, 1-0 draw in Newcastle, a 0-0 against Bournemouth, a 1-0 wing at Southampton. Man City 3-0 defeat is sort of an outlier because it's City. They're not horrendous results. They're just not scoring goals right now. But defensively, they are solid. So as far as I'm concerned, that's it's it's not great, but it could be a whole lot worse. Whereas Leicester's situation right now, I just don't see how they can get out of it. So, but Wolves' form, there's a lot of games there that last season they were winning. And yeah. they, were, they were unlucky in that they did, so they've got Jimenez as a striker who's always injured. They brought in their new guy, Kalisic, who then immediately got injured. And now they're relying on yep. Diego Costa for the goals. I don't think there's still not a lot of goals in that squad. And no. before you know it, it's going to be Christmas and we're going to be halfway through the season. And I, I'm i not saying they have the most to be worried about. I'm just saying it's easy to just go... And the same with West Ham, you go, oh, well, first game against City, they it was City. Second game against Forest, well, Forest players should have got sent off and they missed a penalty. They were unlucky there. Oh, then Brighton, well, they always lose to Brighton. Um, oh, they got the draw against Spurs. Oh, they should have got the draw against Chelsea. But by the time you start doing that, you're suddenly, we're game week eight now. Admittedly, only seven games have been played. Yeah. That's a lot of points dropped. And... Let's be honest, they're not that many points ahead of Leicester who have, by all means, and as everyone would say, have had a really rotten season. Yeah, I mean, look, Diego Costa is going to take, undoubtedly, a while to get up to speed. He has not played a lot of football over the last sort of year or so. and But is he not a short-term fix for them? He would be a short-term fix. But what's the but... point? This is me just kind of playing devil's advocate, but what's the point in having a short-term fix if he's going to take a while to get up to speed? Because he hasn't played and he's not match fit. You can't put out a player who's not match fit and then what if he what if he gets injured? Then it's just been pointless. Oh, no, so I, 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 think, I, I, I think get that, kind of, but either way, they don't have a striker. Uh, they, yeah, you're, you're right. They don't have a striker who can stay fit and, and scores regular goals, but there's... I, I like the look of Nunes, um, who's come in into the midfield and slotted in quite comfortably. You, you know what you're always going to get out of Ruben Neves and Giammatinho, the sort of veterans now of the Premier League. Um, Pedro Neto is... Let's look at his stats. I, again, he, he does crop up goals, but it's not on a consistent basis. I, I, I do get where you're coming from, but I, it's a difficult one because, like I said, I, I think Wolves will get there. Eventually, I think there are worse teams on paper than than Wolves. It's just whether or not Bruno Larg, as a, as a manager, can can turn it around. I, I'm, I do look a little bit at their um, their sort of transfer policy. I, I I did mention at the start that Bruno Larg has basically decided that he's going to go and and make a lot more decisions about what the squad is going into the season. So I was slightly sort of miffed at the decision to send Connor Cody out on loan as well as Fabio Silva who I thought had an okay season um, last year but yeah I, it's a difficult one but I, I, I still think out of the three Leicester is still I mean the fact that they didn't really make an outfield signing or a single signing in the transfer window just it, sends, it sort of sends alarm bells At this point do you think they'll get relegated? Because I, we'll st- get, I we'll still, I still, that stats corner. Because uh, I still don't. 
and I know that stats commonly prove otherwise, but I just don't see them dropping that far. I know they've lost some key players, but I don't see them dropping that far. They finished what eighth last season, eighth or ninth. Yeah, but they didn't have a really they didn't have a fantastic season. They were very they, inconsistent they, last year. They still finished eighth or ninth. I know they still finished eighth or ninth, but they didn't have a fantastic. Uh, I just they didn't have a consistent season. No, I just don't. And I think see... that form is carrying over into this year. Clearly, yeah, I just don't see them dropping that much. And I know they're down there, but Brendan Rodgers is a good manager. I do think they will give him time. They do have good players in the squad. I just don't see them going down. And I know that everything at the moment is pointing towards a team with prime relegation form. And they're still yet to they're still yet to pick up three points, aren't they? Yep, they only have amassed one point so far. Un point. Wow, it's like Eurovision, isn't it? It's like UK um, Eurovision all over again. Yeah. Um I don't know. Eight games in or seven games in it is worrying, but I do believe they have the strength to turn it around. Or I hope so anyway. Yeah, I'd like to think so because I I, I don't mind Leicester as as a team. I I think obviously their story over the last sort of six or seven years has just been meteoric. The rise of Leicester, it's been something out of like a Hollywood sort of script. And that's the thing, it would be a really sad way for it to all end. It would be a really sad ending. You'd like to see them... Well, we thought that once sort of Brendan Rodgers has sort of come in and and obviously got the FA Cup success and continuing continuing presence in Europe, that you just expect Leicester to be a stable Premier League club now. So the thought of relegation is suddenly from where they were sort of 10 or so years ago to where they are now is sort of a surprise. But just... Nothing is going right for this Leicester side right now. No, nothing is. And maybe it's another team where the international break will come at a right time. I'm not sure they've got... I don't think they've got an abundance of players that will necessarily be going away with the international squads. Well, mo- most te- most Premier League teams have a good few, but yeah. I think um, the like their main people, like the likes of Madison, the likes of Vardy, the likes of Barnes, um, I don't think that any of them are going away. So hopefully this is a real... Good point for Brendan to have a strong sit down with the squad and see what's going to happen with them. Leicester stats this year in terms of goals scored, they've scored 10. Okay. Who? Like Madison's got the majority, right? Has, like, has Vardy scored? I don't think Vardy's played a great deal. I think he's been quite a bit injured. He's been a little and, bit injured. And there was a game the other week, oh, it was against Chelsea where Vardy missed about two or three opportunities that you would go, oh, that's prime Jamie Vardy, he should score that. I yeah. think I think they lost like 2-1 or 3-2 to Chelsea, and they definitely should have won it. So yeah. they have been a bit unlucky. Um, I think mostly they've had a lot of defensive upset, and they're probably conceding more. Also, the loss of Schmeichel in between. Danny the Ward in goal just hasn't been, it's not filling me with confidence at all. Uh, I respect Rogers in that he went, I'm going to stick with him. I'm going to give him the opportunity. It's a, a player it, that he knows, but... It feels like a big gamble. I can't help but think that in January, they're probably going to go straight into the market and sign a new keeper. I do think they need a keeper. Because even someone like, I'm not sure what he's up to at the moment, but the likes of Adrian, who has been fringe for was obviously fringe for Liverpool for a while, playing second fiddle or third fiddle to um yep. Allison and Kel- Kelleher. Yep. But I think he would do more of a job than um Danny Ward at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think sort of speaking from a Adrian point of view, he he's very happy. Uh, with his situation, he's quite content with his situation right now, being effectively a number three at Liverpool and obviously not getting much game time. But a cheeky bid from Leicester during during the January window, I think Liverpool might be half tempted. Or, or, or even a loan but move. Keller, has, Keller, has, Keller has, hasn't been fit to start the year, so he's effectively been a number two from, from the outset. True. So it's it's whether or not those situations sort of line up themselves. 
Yeah, that that's true. I just think there will be. That was just an example off the top of my head, rather yeah, than yeah, yeah, an yeah. actual yeah. serious one. Even the likes of at West Ham, I'm pretty sure Darren Randolph is still on the books, but they were trying to get rid of, uh, like they were open to offers from him. Yeah, and I think once again, it's a keeper that has played in the Premier League. Not not the best keeper in the world, but I think just there's something about Danny Ward. He just doesn't look convinced by himself, and I think as results have gone on, he's looked less and less strong because he hasn't really had much opportunity to believe in himself. Yeah. And confidence plays a huge, huge part in in any sort of walk of life, but especially being as a keeper in sort of most week in week out sort of playing in front of 40,000, 50,000, 60,000 people, you got them. If you're playing away from home, having hounded them sort of right behind you. And if you make a mistake, you just, you just want to crawl up in a hole and just sort of, just hide. Oh, and that's um, the difference. If you make a, yeah. if you make the mistake as a striker, you miss the target and yep. you don't score. If you make a mistake as a goalkeeper, exactly, it's your team can go easily then lose a game from there. So, exactly. yeah, I I could see, I could see this is a good opportunity for Brendan Rodgers' squad. But at the same time, I think if they're in trouble, there's definitely some areas around the pitch where they do need to make some signings, and goalkeeper yep. is one of them. I think um, key thing also is trying to keep hold of Madison because at the moment he's doing pretty much everything for the Leicester side right now. He is at the moment and we'll get on to his uh, most recent antics in goal of the week. But Tom, continuing on this Leicester theme, um, it's the listener's favourite part of the show. It's Stats Corner. Hello all and welcome to another edition of Stats Corner. This week I'll be having a more in-depth look at Leicester's awful start to the season, in addition to what we've just mentioned. Brendan Rogers said after the 5-2 hounding that his Leicester side got at the hands of Brighton a couple of weeks ago, that the results are down to him. That always tends to be a little bit of a telltale sign that the manager is up against it and if results don't turn around soon, then... Brendan's probably looking at a bit of a P45 coming his way. So did the results turn around? Uh, well, 6-2 uh, uh, Spurs then. Yeah, ouch. Um, quite simply, it's been a, a nightmare start for Leicester. But where does this rank in terms of other poor starts Leicester have made, I hear you ask? We're about to find out. Forget their awful start to their title defence a couple of years ago or the year before their miracle run when they were newly promoted under Nigel Pearson. Six straight defeats and rooted firmly bottom of the table means that this has been the worst league start for Leicester since 1983, when they lost their first six league games in the old first division when 22 teams used to fight for the title. They did go on that year to finish 15th, just three points clear of the drop, a team that included the duo of Lineker and Smith up front. That year, they were early favourites for the drop uh, and would lose eight of their first nine and not win until match 11. This Leicester team, under Brendan Rodgers at time of recording, is third favourite for the drop at 7-4, to four, according to Sky Bet. Looking at comparing the two sides on goals for and goals against, this current Leicester side has been guilty of some poor defending all season long, as we've just mentioned, and have conceded a total of 22 goals so far. A league worst, you will not be surprised here, especially including the fact that Bournemouth conceded nine one week. They have amassed 10 at the right end from their first seven games so far. The 83-84 side conceded 18 from their first seven games, but were slightly worse in front of goal, having only managed four goals in seven. In comparison to more recent history, whilst their 14-15 campaign, as I said, newly promoted under Nigel Pearson, didn't start off as poorly, In fact, that side went on to start their first six games with two wins, two draws and two defeats, which left them 10th and also included a memorable 5-3 win over Manchester United. They did up then going on a horrendous run, which saw them pick up a grand total of 11 points between weeks 6 and 29. That's two wins, five draws and 17 defeats. Al Leicester didn't actually come up with a decision to sack Nigel Pearson at that point, I do not know. But at that, they didn't. at that point, his son hadn't uh, racially harassed someone when on holiday. Very, very good point. 
but a miracle run at the end of the season, which saw them win seven out of a possible nine, saw them finish 14th. Uh, and then the next season, well, you know the rest. Passing the net a bit wider and looking at other Prem teams in comparison, Leicester are the 10th side to pick up a point or less in the opening seven games of the Premier League season. Only four of those teams have managed to stay up. So we're looking at Southampton side of 1998-1999, the Newcastle side of 1999-2000, the Sunderland side of 2013-14, which if I remember rightly was the Allardyce at the end of the season. I believe that is correct. I think it was. Uh, and then Palace of 2017-2018, which I think was the start, started out with, was it Frank de Boer? Yeah, no no wins from five and given the boot? Four, I think so, yeah. It was about four or five games, I think, after he got the boot. Um, out of those four teams, only one of those teams didn't change their manager. Old call Southampton. Defensively, 22 goals conceded after seven games is also the most conceded by any top flight side since 1965. And that team was West Ham United. So I guess the question is, Reese, as we've already mentioned, is this the end of the line for what's been an incredible period in Leicester's history or can they right the ship? And is Brendan Rodgers the man at the helm? I, I still think Brendan Rodgers is the right man. I think if you were to give him the boot now, there is only one manager at the moment who jumps into my mind as a reasonable replacement and that's Mauricio Pochettino. I was going to say Poch, yeah. And I think he would be... I think if tomorrow we wake up and Brendan Rodgers has been sacked, I think he would be, immediately be the bookies' favourites. But I think he's the right man. He knows that squad. And I know he's had some issues with players recently in that squad, obviously with the likes of Fafana demanding to go and mm-hmm. eventually going. But I still think there is quality in that squad. I think Leicester actually over the last couple of seasons have really been hit by injury. Yeah. And I'm not sure what the root cause of that is, whether they're just incredibly unlucky or whether there's training methods that have caused injury. They've, they've either been incredibly unlucky or something's kind of going a little bit wrong for them. Yeah, um, I mean, like you said, incredibly unlucky with injury. Was it, was it, was it uh, Justin who had the... Um, was it... Fafana was out for most of the season before last, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Then um, Ricardo Pereira was out for ages. Yeah. Um, James Justin, I think, has a fair amount of injuries. Vardy, with his ongoing age, yeah. has understandably picked up more well, that, injuries. That's, that's with most people, Reese. Age does tend to on-go. Oh, no. Ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> And then I think that's led to a lot of defensive insecurity because they've had to mix it up at the back where they've had Johnny Evans, Sionchu not always on top form, having to move Ndidi from centre mid. Into, yeah, and Leicester having to move Ndidi from centre mid, who he's a really good central defensive midfielder, to centre back. And then I think also their striker cover has been really inconsistent with the likes of Pats and Daka and uh, Kaleshi and Acho not being incredible at all times no um but i still think there are bright sparks in that team yuri tillemans still a really good player yep addison started the season very very well harvey barnes i think is a quality player their young left back uh, i can't remember his name and that's really insulting but i think he is really good as well um and then vardy can still score goals no well no dewsbury hall plays in the middle of the park for them he has been a great breakthrough from last season he played a lot of their european games and has come out looking really, really strong for them. So I think there are a lot of good things at Leicester. It just doesn't seem to be clicking. I don't think it's right to change manager. Um, And obviously, looking at their start, (laughs) it doesn't bode well for them, does it? Um, No, I mean... For the amount of teams that have had similar starts and survived, they're very much looking in the minority at the moment. Yeah, I think they're pretty much... They are looking down the barrel of the gun right now. And Rogers very much specifically. I think you, you do say that Rogers deserves time, and I think he does. Especially considering the fact that was it was it last? No, obviously he didn't win the FA Cup last year. It was Liverpool. And um, considering last. the fact that he has an FA Cup under his belt, which you know was his first um, major uh, managerial trophy, the Leicester owners specifically don't 
seem to be loyal. I mean, look, you know, how what happened to Ranieri after, you know, the year that they, they won the, the Premier League. He, I think it was around sort of December time that, that they gave him the boot um, for some poor run of form. Um, and then Shakespeare had initially a fantastic sort of bounce back with them and, and looked to be the, the man for them. Then just, uh, I think again, the following season just fell a bit of a way and, um, and they, they gave him the boot. So it, when the writing is on the wall for certain managers at Leicester, it doesn't seem to take too long after for them to make the decision. So, but as you just I, said, I, they, as you said, they kept Pearson for a long time. They did keep Pearson for a long time. They and did. it worked out. It did work out, and it did work out very much for the better. And then sacked him the following season. But the reasons why we, uh, we yeah, know non-footballing reasons. Non-footballing reasons. Yes. Um, I, I don't know. I, I like Brendan as a coach um, from his time at Liverpool. He didn't really put a step wrong. He was clearly a very sort of man who stuck by his beliefs and it just sort of fell away a little bit towards the end. We might be sort of seeing something similar here, but there's no denying that he is a good coach. And if he does go from Leicester, we'll obviously I think we'll definitely get a, another job sort of a similar a level or maybe even higher up. Who knows? Um, I would like to see Leicester give him time but the last time we've spoken about a manager and a club who you know needs to be given time was Scott Parker at Bournemouth and we know how that ended up so we Don't, might be what, creating another retraction the following week You're not telling me we've just cursed Brendan Rodgers to be sacked over the next three days are we? Uh, I mean that's what happened to Scott Parker so Oh well Brendan we're really sorry thank we, you for, we're so sorry Brendan thank you thank you for what you did at Leicester um it is phenomenal uh, we both believe you should be given more time however the owners have decided it's very unfortunate for you uh, we yep. wish you all the best in the future um and we hope you find another team well thank you very much for that stats corner that's really enlightening and it's interesting to see understandably how poor starts really do reflect the end poor seasons but you know I still think there are plenty of teams that have had bad starts and survived, which have worse squads and worse managers than Leicester. So, yeah. I, I mean, I, by, by no means, I'm not saying that Leicester can't do it. I, I, I want them to do it, and I, I'd like to think that they, they can do it. But historically speaking, a poor start such as this tends to mean bad things are coming. But who knows? Records are made to be broken. So, yeah, exactly. With big hits, cheeky dinks. It's goal of the week. Goal of the week. Tom, with fewer games, we had less chance to see worldies. But did the other four team deliver? And who are your contenders for goal of the week? So in terms of delivering quality goals, we didn't see that many. Um, there were a lot of one nils, a lot of, one all draws and uh, obviously the, the big game um, last Friday, Fulham again uh, going up to Forest for a 3 2 uh, 5 goal thriller. But in my list, I've got three on the short list. So I did see some quality goals. And I think the listeners in the uh, wider ether of the other 14 worlds will agree with me on these picks. So my three are. Palinia against Forest, Madison's cheeky little dink against Spurs, and Neil Mopé's debut goal to give Everton their first league win of the season. I have to say that first time I watched Madison's goal, I thought, what an incredible hit. What vision. The second time I watched it, I thought, did he shin that? The third time I watched it, I went, Nah, he's meant that dink into the back post and to deceive um, Loris. Then the fourth time I watched it, I went, nah, that's definitely come off his shin. Every time I watch it, I change my mind on whether that was a purely intentional flick or whether he did shin it and kind of got a bit lucky. I do not know. If he meant it, it's genius, it's brilliant. If it came off his shin, it still looks really good. But then it is a goal in a 6-2 loss. So is is it really that great? It's um, polishing a turd, isn't it? 
Exactly. Well, no, you can't polish a turd. You're only slightly rolling it in glitter. Um, okay, fair enough. Then Paulinho's goal against Forest, it was that kind of intense moment of three rapid goals to go from two down to beating Forest. Um, oh, it was such a good strike the way he stepped onto it and just beamed it into uh, beamed it into the back of the goal. And then Malpai's goal against West Ham hit into him with a bit of pace. His turn was really good, just turned on a dime and hit it on the half. Unbelievable. I still think both Kurt Zuma and Declan Rice need to be looking at themselves because he did that in between them. Both of them could have got closer to him and they mm. were pretty poor. But yeah. it's not my decision. So, Tom, tell me about your thinking about it and who you think is the deserved winner of this. So, my thinking is the Paulinho against Forest. Good move, quick free flowing football is what we've basically talked up for them about in the pod so far and just a quality inside to finish just from outside the box basically just placing it past Dean Henderson quality finish fantastic goal and the signs of a really really good player in the Premier League Madison's goal against Spurs I would suggest to you watch it maybe one more time so that the next time you watch it it comes across as a sublime flick and then just never watch it again so you have that sort of um that sort of thought process. It was a sublime glance into Larissa's far side. Arguably Leicester's player of the year right now, but as we mentioned, it it sort of was a little bit of a gloss on a, other than that sort of real tumultuous performance and just really poor Leicester start to the season. Ultimately, like, like I say, it, it meant nothing. Um, Mopé's goal against West Ham. Now, I, I know what you mentioned about the defending of Zuma and Rice, but I still think technically and the quality that Mopay showed there to take the ball, first touch, spin, hit it on the half, quick and sort of catching Fabianski sort of unaware by how quickly he struck it into his near side. We always say that keepers should do better on the near side, but you sort of can give Fabianski a little bit of sort of um, a little bit of leeway there because of how quickly Mope did strike. It was so sort of incisive and just the quality that was on show there. Um, you can probably see where I'm leading up with this. Um, and the fact that it also meant that Everton got their first win of the season. Paulinho's goal was in a 3-2 win. I think it was, it was either the second or the third goal. Ultimately, it wasn't the winner, I don't think. And Madison's was a, a goal in a 6-2 defeat. And I, as much as I also say that the quality of the goal is the majority of my sort of thinking process to who gets goal of the week. I also look at what it actually means in terms of the game. And obviously Mopé's goal being the winner in a 1-0 win and just how good the strike was. Ultimately, I think Mopé gets goal of the week. As much as I... I know it pains you. I know it pains you and I disagree with you, but I do appreciate your rationale for it. And that, yeah, Madison's was a quality goal that meant nothing. Paulinho's goal was a quality goal, but in the middle of a five-goal thriller. Malpais was the winner. Um, I can't disagree with you at this because it's your award to give out. So, yeah, shut up. So, Neil Malpai, congratulations on winning goal of the week. And we have a listener question this week, and it comes from Adam, who is a Leeds resident and fan. And he has written in to ask, with the England squad having been announced this week, who is the most glaring omission from the other 14 that Southgate should have picked? So, Tom, in front of me, I do have the England squad that Gareth Southgate announced last week. So we have representatives from the other 14. We have Dean Henderson from Forest, Nick Pope from Newcastle. Then in defence, we have Connor Cody from Everton, Mark Gahey from Crystal Palace, and Kieran Trippier from Newcastle. We then have Declan Rice and James Ward-Prowse as representatives from West Ham and Southampton, respectively. And then in terms of forwards, we have Jared Bowen and the inform Ivan Tony. So... Only a handful of outfield players 
I think that's six in total, who have made Southgate's squad. I personally feel, and based on this question Adam does as well, that the other 14 have a lot more to contribute to the international scene for England. So who do you think are the most glaring omissions from this squad? That is a really difficult one because, I mean, we know that basically Southgate doesn't pick on form and he always has his favourites. That being said, Tony it would got be in. nice to see. Well, Tony did get in. Tony did get in, but he has been good for, it's it's not been form per se. He's been good for a, a year and a bit now. Well, he's obviously had a meteoric rise through, through the levels, mm-hmm. uh, had a great league debut last season sort of put his name up in lights and this season he's just sort of carried on that that form so he he's he is fully deserved of his of his place in the side um i would look at other players that that have been in the england side previously that are good quality players i i always look at maybe danny ings always making that england side but Injuries are always a question for him, um, and hasn't necessarily got off to the fantastic start that I think we would have expected him. But that's a Villa side that not necessarily have been playing well so far. I don't know. It's a it's a difficult one. So looking at players, and I know we say Southgate doesn't pick on form, and on the whole, he doesn't. He does have his favourites. There's a couple of players in this squad that I say I think there are better players elsewhere who have been playing better football. Most prominently, I would say, um, I would say Harry Maguire. Harry has, Maguire. Harry Maguire has been absolutely awful this season. He's not even making the Manchester United eleven because he's been replaced by Martinez, a combination of Martinez and Varane. And then I would also say another player who has been pretty awful this season is Luke Shaw, and somehow. Well, another player that doesn't get much game time, um, and he's been um, been replaced in the Manchester United starting eleven by Malassia. So yeah. those two immediately, I go. Well, we can get other replacements for. In terms of centre backs that are very good from the other fourteen, I would say you've still got the likes of Mings, Tarkovsky, Konza, Kilman. I think are all very, very good and on form at the moment. Yep. Um, people will hate me for this, but I also say Craig Dawson's very good. Give Craig Dawson a cap. He's a magician. Then in terms of down the left-hand side, uh, instead of Luke Shaw, I would say Tyrek Mitchell's very good. And then also Matt Target has had a very good start to the season for Newcastle. So I'm not really sure why Luke Shaw's in there when we've got players that have been playing consistently at a good level in that same position? I think I have been a little bit of an idiot and sort of disregarded one player who we've been, been talking about quite a little bit in this pod so far, and that's James Madison. Yeah, James Madison's form, um, I think, has been really good. I think he's been currently, form-wise, much better than the likes of Mason Mount. Who... Mason Mount hasn't scored a goal or got an assist at all yet this season. Yeah, and I know it's a different position, but um, Calvin Phillips um, was in, uh, obviously got injured, so he's gone back to City. And then Henderson's been bought in. Um, I would have preferred, out of based on form, because Phillips has hardly played for City, and Henderson, let's be honest, Liverpool's midfield has probably been their weakest point of the season. Uh, yes. That has been really poor. So I'd say Madison, I know, is a bit more attacking. But then I think you've got the likes of um, Jack Harrison from Leeds, who has had a really good start to the season. Really High good. energy, like really shuts players down, will go at it. And he said, and I know he's played for England for a long time and he's been a good player for England for a long time and he's won a lot with Liverpool. But Jordan Henderson, I... Jordan, Jordan Henderson has been brought in as cover. He has been bought in this car. He wasn't in the original squad, but even Calvin Phillips hasn't played any football this season, or very minimal. He hasn't been in. He hasn't been a regular in the uh, City starting eleven. He's always been. uh, Rodri's always been in ahead of him. So, 
I don't, I don't know. I think Southgate, when he initially came in, went, oh, players will only be picked on form. And the, sorry, and that was his reason to slowly get rid of Rooney out the side, which is understandable. But then there are a number of players in here. And I think a lot of players have picked up form and have got better. So the likes of Jack Grealish, I think, has picked up form and is getting better. Phil Foden's having more opportunities at City. Um, but then, based on the form argument as well, I would probably take out Jared Bowen. Jared yeah. Bowen has yeah. not been good for West Ham. He's had a stinker. Had absolute stinkers so he's far. Had, this he, he's been really poor. I would much rather see, in terms of attacking wide, uh, wide men, I'd rather see someone like, um, I know it's slightly different, but he can be moved out wide. I'd say someone like um, Godfrey from Everton. I know he's picked in the under-21s, oh. but he's had, a great, he's had a great start to the season. And Sunday I, March from Brighton, just thought. Oh, God, yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly. So fits into that mould quite well. It, completely. So it's an interesting um, squad. There's yeah. not too many you can disagree with, but I think there's enough talking points in there that um, I, go on. Yeah, I, I think you have to give uh, Southgate a little bit of, of room there also because, like you said, we there are some preliminary missions and some sort of players that we've already already mentioned, but we are on the final countdown now for the World Cup. It's an early World Cup. It's a November World Cup and we are in the, towards the end of September about to turn into October. So there's not a lot of opportunities for... I think these sort of first games in, in the Premier League up to what, seven or eight games that it was, well, it was supposed to be eight games. It's turned out to be seven in the end before the first international break. That was a good sort of last... I think that was probably the last chance for players to sort of put their names in Gareth Southgate's mindset. And the only real player that has stood out from the other 14 is Tony. And he's rightfully got into that position. I think Southgate has had his idea about what his squad was going to be before the end of last season. I think that's fair. So I think I, there, wasn't, I, there wasn't a lot of opportunities for players to sort of prove a point. Uh, and I think true. realistically, Tony's the only one that has properly done that. That's true. I'll give you that. But I do not see England winning the World Cup if Harry Maguire's in their defence. Oh, no. No, no, not no. no. Absolutely not. No. He's... Amanda liability. Exactly. It's not that he... I, it's not that defensively he's... Just poor or miss a tackle. He or he'll actively do something that will end up conceding a goal from. So, right, main um, material though. Yeah, exactly. And this is actually um, a good opportunity to bring us on to our special. So, next week, um, because we have no Premier League fixtures this week, we will be doing an England other fourteen special. So do join us next week for that. Just because the Premier League stops doesn't mean that we will. So other than that, um, I'd like to say thank you very much to Adam for your question. And thank you very if, much, Adam. And if anyone else has any questions for us that you want us to answer on the podcast, please do get in contact. You can find us on Twitter at other 14 podcast or alternatively email us on the other 14 pod at gmail.com tom this is normally the part of the show where i would get you to read out the upcoming week's fixtures and then embarrass you in front of all our listeners as i continue my hot streak in fab four prediction game but i can't as we have an international break on the horizon so we've got no Good. fixtures and nothing to predict Good. and i'm shit at that and last week's pod, uh, I did establish an 11-5 lead over you, but we weren't able to predict any results for game week eight because we had predicted game week seven, but then it got postponed and we moved the podcast. And unlike all those empty seats in the Etihad, I'm not inclined to waste space and I will not waste space in this podcast. So we're going to use this part of the pod for forfeit suggestions from our listeners. He rules with an eye fist, ladies and gentlemen. We want you to write in and give us your idea of a forfeit that the loser of the Fab Four predictions will have to carry out. For us, it's not about the winning. It's just about not losing. So whatever we find out to be the best suggestion from our listeners, 
whoever is the loser of the predictions game will commit to that forfeit. Um, the person who puts forward the suggestion that we pick will win some other 14 merch. So, as with any questions, please send all your suggestions into at other 14 podcast or alternatively email us on the other 14 pod at gmail.com. Tom, are you scared about uh, about this? Since let's be honest, you're going to be doing the forfeit. Yeah, pretty much, isn't it? Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, that's uh, why that, did I sign up? That's yeah. the sound of a confident man, there, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, why did I sign up to this? Um, no, there's, 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 there's still time for me to come back into this. You know, I'm, exactly. not, I'm not sort of losing all hope yet, so um, there's still plenty of time to, to go. Um, well, only two. There's different ways to look at it. There's two ways to look at it. One is you're only two wins behind me. So, uh, sorry, one way is that you're only two correct result predictions behind me. The other way to look at it is so far you've got less than half my points. Depending on how you look at it. But I've not been predicting a lot of correct scores lately. So I'm looking at the second way also. Thankfully, we get to pick what we think the rightful forfeit is, and we look forward to all those good suggestions coming in from our listeners. And that brings us to the end of this episode of the Other 14 podcast. So thank you for downloading and listening to this week's episode of the podcast with Tom and myself. Please subscribe to us and give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Ideally, five stars, please. Also, do recommend us to your friends and family. We are now available on all good podcast platforms, including Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Even with the international break, we will not stop. We have a treat of an England Other 14 special lined up, and we will be releasing it at our usual time. So, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from Tom. Bye. We'll see you next week on the Other 14 podcast. Southampton, respectively. And then in terms of forwards, we have Jared Bowen and the inform Ivan Tony. <laughs>